All right, thank you for remaining standing for the reading of God's word. Hear, O Israel, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The God of glory thunders. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariots in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Let's pray. O merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we ask today that you would bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word. We pray that your spirit would be active among us and that you would increase our faith as we hear your word and that your word would be used to change us, to mold us, and to conform us into the image of your dear son. And we ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. G.K. Chesterton once said, Jesus promised his disciples three things. Three things. That they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and constantly in trouble. Completely fearless, absurdly happy, and constantly in trouble. So does this describe you? Would others describe you in this way? That's the question. And hopefully today as we go through Psalm 46, we will learn how we can do this because it is roughly an outline of this psalm. 
as we look at the first three verses of this song, psalm, this is really about freedom from fear. This is that completely fearless, right? And it sets the tone right away. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Let me remind you, you know this, right? This is Psalm 46. It's a song, right? We tend to approach the Psalms when we read them and not think of them as psalms. And if you look at the structure of this song, it's a kind of modern in, in our uh, view. It has three very definite verses. It has a repeating line that is the chorus, um, verse 7, and again, I think in verse 11. It's very suitable to a more of a modern arrangement, which we'll get to the arrangement a little later. Um, but really, this, this first verse, God is our refuge and strength, a very uh, present help in trouble, it acts as a foreshadowing of the chorus that is set up later. And it's really the theme of the whole song, which could be explained something like this. And for you note takers, you want to write this one down. The theme of this psalm is the church at peace and the world in turmoil. The church at peace and the world in in turmoil. See, it, it starts out right away saying that God is our refuge, right? This is our place of safety, of security, of protection. It says that um, he is our strength. Um, this is a steadfast strength. This is a reliability of a fortified tower or castle or, in this sense, uh, a city, right? We see this in Psalm 18, Verses 1 through 2. And this is, this is a psalm of David. Um, uh, it says, The words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. And he just keeps going, and I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. I would encourage you to explore that psalm later. But it, um, the psalm that we're in now, Psalm 46, says that he is our very present help. Very present. He is near at hand. He is close. He is ready. He is present. He is able as our great helper to deliver us from any trouble. Now it's interesting, this word, this word trouble, it means the kind of distress or anguish that the Lord delivers us out of or delivers our enemies into. 
Isn't that great? He is our very present help in trouble, meaning the Lord is bringing us out of that trouble and he's taking our enemies into that trouble. And because of this, the very opening of this psalm, because of this, we know, therefore, we will not fear. We will not be afraid. We will not be anxious. We will not be apprehensive. Psalm 56, 3 says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. See, when these times come, it sometimes shakes our faith. It shakes our trust. But it says here that regardless of personal strife or conflict, whether it be with your spouse or a family member or an extended family member or a co-worker or there are current natural disasters or even huge upheavals in the political system, though the earth be changed into something else, something catastrophic, Though the enemies of God roar and are troubled, though the mountains begin to rise and to swell, we are called to be completely fearless. It's interesting here that um, we will not fear is not a command, it's not a recommendation, a suggestion. Or a statement. It is a truth. Those who God loves, those who love God because He first loved us, have cast, have had fear cast out. The Apostle John tells that there is no fear in love, that perfect love has cast out our fears. Oh Lord, <laughs> we believe. Help us. In our unbelief. And then this word that none of us are really sure what to do with, right? Sila. What do we do here? Commentators are all over the place on this. Pretty sure it's some kind of rest. Maybe a quiet meditation on what has just been sung. Maybe it's taking a moment to rejoice in God's goodness to us. Maybe it's a time to pray to the Lord for strength and courage. Maybe it's a time for thanking the Lord for his mercy and grace in this time of trouble. Even saw one that suggested it was a time for the musicians to retune their instruments. And I thought that was interesting that after we hear this, we shall not be afraid because God is our refuge and strength. It gives us an opportunity to retune ourselves to that kind of thinking. We retune to this song, right? So then we have verses 4 through 7, which is the peace of God. Um, this is us being absurdly happy. It says, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathens raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. 
The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. So here is verse 2, right? Uh, with the chorus at the end. And then the curious rest. Again, it sets this idea of the church at peace and the world in turmoil. We have a, a river that makes glad the city of God. I think that's you and, I, you and I. This is where God tabernacles, it says. This is where he lives. This is how we know he is close at hand. If you contrast this water with the water in verse 3, you will see that theme of the church at peace and the world in turmoil. And it says that these streams uh, make us glad. They make us rejoice. They make us joyful. I liked one of the definitions that said, an agitation of rejoicing. An agitation of being happy. It's because God is near. He is near to us. He is providing everything for us. This peace in, in the midst of this great upheaval, whatever that may be. And it's interesting here that the city of God is referred to as her. The city of God, this new Jerusalem, we know from over in Revelation 21, right, is the Lord's bride coming down from heaven. And it says that she, this, this bride, this new Jerusalem, this city of God, this Mount Zion, shall not be shaken, right? Psalm 125 says this, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, which is the same word as moved in verse 5, um, but abideth forever. And this word moved can also mean shaken, right? The city of God shall not be moved or shaken because the Lord is its foundation. It is that great cornerstone. And then the word early here, I just wanted to point out, it means daybreak uh, or morning. Uh, it's the same word used in Genesis 1 where it says evening and morning. So, you know, his mercies are new to us every morning. Amen? So it's, um, I just want to take a moment here to point out this river is um, pretty interesting. It's this, um, this river is our triune God. So we need to, to kind of get our minds wrapped around that. Um, when John saw this river in a vision, which by its streams make glad the city of God, he tells us he saw it issuing out of the throne of God and the Lamb, thereby not only intimating that the throne of God and the Lamb is one and the same, but also as plainly showing that the operations of grace of the Holy Spirit in watering the church all flow from the same holy, undivided, three-in-one. This is the triune God as a river around us as a city. Some might think of it as a moat, keeping us safe from our enemies. Um, Jeremiah 2.13 says, God, is the Father, uh, God the Father is the river. 
For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God the Son is the river, the fountain of salvation. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Zechariah 13.1 And then God the Spirit is the river. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water I give him shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John 7 and John 4. See, this peace and this comfort is available to us through our triune God, primarily through his word and through his spirit ministering to us as his people. This river of gladness, rejoicing, and celebration flows in and through the city of God, the church of the firstborn. Dwelling in this city implies going to the house of God. We will see this later. Hearing his word, partaking of his sacraments, observing his works, and fellowshipping with his saints. Sounds like worship to me. Our passage then tells us that the Lord utters his voice. The word of the Lord shakes and disheartens or melts the raging heathen. The power of God's voice is present in the earth through the reading and preaching of his word. His enemies are defeated through the uttering of his voice through his word. I alluded to this in the opening. Psalm 29, 3 through 4 says this, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And in Psalm 18, we read this, The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He shot out lightnings and discomforted them. Then the channels of the water were seen, and the fountains of the world were discovered at thy, rebu- at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. And from them which hate me, for they were too strong for me. Do you see this connection? You see this connection between the Lord speaking and the kingdoms of this world being shaken and discomforted and melted? You know, every week, the beginning, first page of the order of worship, we have Hebrews 12. 22 through 24, and 28 and 29. I want to read Hebrews 25 through 29 for you and see if it fits into the context of what we're talking about. See that you refuse him not that speaks, 
For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made. Those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. The city of God cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. And then on the heels of God uttering his voice, we see in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, a powerful, commanding, general warrior. God of Jacob, a loving, covenantal father. It's quite a picture. This refuge is a stronghold, a fortified position. This is our safe haven. This is why we are not afraid. If you have your Bibles open, let's take a quick look here at verse 7. There's something interesting. I don't want to push it too far. But it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. I know in the King James, the word is, is in italics, which means it's added to make the sense in the English reading. But if we read it without it, we get something interesting. The Lord of hosts with us. The Lord with us. God with us. Emmanuel, right? Sometimes we struggle to see Jesus in the Psalms. I think he's right here. This Yahweh of hosts is the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, commander of armies, ruler of the nations. This is our God. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then we come to Selah again. So we rest. Maybe a quiet meditation on what was just sung. Rejoicing in God's goodness. Praying to the Lord for strength. Thanking the Lord for his mercy and grace in our time of trouble. Retuning our instruments. Now, verses 8 through 11, main theme here is God being exalted. We're going to see that that is the end result of our being constantly in trouble. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he has made in the earth. He makes wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in sunder. He burns the chariots 
in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, our refuge, Selah. So in this song, this is the third verse, with the climax at the end, the chorus, the Lord will be exhorted, exalted, sung in chorus over and over, and then to the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, the big swelling finale, proclaiming the church at peace, and the world in turmoil. And in this section, we find the one command in this whole psalm. The one command, which says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he has made in the earth. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he has made in the earth. What wasting, what ruin is coming to the enemies of God in our day. We see it plainly. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Is it not evidence that the Lord is shaking down these kingdoms that are against his Christ? The foolishness is evident for all to see. And yet they are willing to believe a lie. So come and see what the Lord has done and is doing to your enemies. See what he is doing for you, his people. And then it says, be still. Relax. Let it go. This is really a, a theme through this whole song is related to resting in the Lord and being quiet before him. For whatever Selah means, to this instruction, it is sure that we are to be still and come and behold the works of the Lord. And it says when we do this, that we will know that God is the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hinders. The whole earth is at rest. And is quiet. They break forth 
into singing. It's Isaiah 14. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. You see, God is to be exalted because of this. He is our refuge and our strength. He is our strong tower. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He will be exalted. This is the reality. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. You see, this is going to happen one way or the other. The nations round about will see and hear and will exalt our God. The people inside of God's city will come and see the works of the Lord. So this is, this is a warning to those who take up arms against Emmanuel, the Lord of hosts. He tells them to, to be still, to lay down your arms, cease and desist in your rebellion. This is a warning to them to come along quietly. It also encourages God people, God's people to remain calm in the midst of the storm. God will be exalted. He will triumph over his and our enemies. So put away your doubts. And put away your fears and come along quietly. The Lord in his grace is providing evidence of his great promise to you. That he will never leave you or forsake you. And through this in his grace, he is exercising your faith. Making it even stronger for the next trial. But God's enemies, they have to learn the lesson the hard way, right? Time and time again. They should know how this goes when they try to rebel against the Lord. And so should God's people. We should remember and believe. They should understand through the ministry of the word and spirit that God is providing for his people. He protects us. He provides for all of our needs. This is what the loving kindness of our faithful Abba Father in heaven looks like. You see, we are constantly in trouble. And yet, behold the works of the Lord. He makes an end of wars. In this passage, it says he destroys their weapons. He makes, this, he makes them useless. God's enemies can't take these up again. They have to go back where they came from and try to rebuild their war machine. He has broken them and burned them in the fire so that they can trouble his people no, fo- no more. Do you see this? desolation in our own day. This psalm encourages us to run to the refuge that is our God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then we rest.
There are different ideas about what this psalm is based on. Some say it's God leading uh, his people out of Egypt. Some believe it's the story of Sennacherib. Um, Some say there's no specific story, which is pretty much where I lean. But there is one story that fits very well, this Psalm 46. And as I read through it, I want you to think about what we just went through in Psalm 46, what we just began to understand. And you will see it play out in sort of a blockbuster movie kind of a scene. If you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to read about Jehoshaphat for just a few minutes. So 2 Chronicles 20, I'll start in uh, verse 1. should probably start once upon a time, but it doesn't. It says, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Gedi. In verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared. He was afraid. And here's what he did. He set himself to seek the Lord. He fled into that refuge. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence For your name is in this temple. And we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Yet here they are, rewarding us by coming to, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now this is amazing. If you think you're ever afraid of certain circumstances, I want you to think about this for a minute. Jehoshaphat is afraid, all right? He's got these 
three armies that have come up against him, and he says, we have no power, and we don't know what to do. Now, for those of you who remember, if you go back a few chapters to chapter 17, they actually number the men in the army. Does anybody know what the number is? Most of your commentaries will tell you it's over a million men in his army. Now, I think he's counting them short here a little bit because it's actually 1.16 million. That's 160,000 extra. That's a pretty good-sized army all by itself, amen? But he says our army has no power. We have no power. We are not going to trust in our own might. But we are looking to you. That's pretty amazing. Now verse 13. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeiel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, in the morning, go down against them. They will surely come up from the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, be still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head to the, uh, with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Loud and high. We'll get back to that in a minute. They stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with, vo with voices loud and high. Then verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. You shall not be moved. Believe his prophets, and, ye, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. 
Now when they began to sing and praise. Now just hold on here a minute, right? You have a million-man army that they say is powerless against the, the enemies that has come up against them. And so what does God do? He actually breaks out his special forces. You ready for this? He breaks out the singers. He breaks out the musicians. This is you guys. When it gets really scary, right? In that moment in the movie when, the, when it gets really ominous and then it lightens up a little bit because the good guys have the secret weapon, right? They're cranking it out. It's these guys. I'm serious. We have a false view of what musicians are, what the role of music is in our warfare. Think about this. Think about Jericho, right? They marched around silently with the band in the front. And then maybe the ultimate story is when Goliath is taunting the armies of God, who comes and saves them? Who comes and defeats the giant? The young skinny shepherd playing his guitar, right? The musician comes and defeats the giant. Now, when they began to sing and praise, oh, I mentioned that I was going to talk about an arrangement on this song. So, it's, it's indicated in the title of the song that the arrangement was set for the sopranos to sing. So, we need somebody to write an arrangement of Psalm 46. Way up, as it said earlier, loud and high. And this will be that secret weapon that we break out when things get really bad. We'll have those high voices with maybe the, the thing that they do up above the really high voices that has a fancy name that I don't remember right now. And the enemies will be terrified. Think like bagpipes up on the hill, right? And the enemies are saying, no, no, not the Sopranos. You laugh, but I'm being serious. That's what, that's what is going on here. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. And they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And we read this part earlier. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked towards the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. He broke their bows. He cut their spears. He burnt their chariots with fire. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoils, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled at the valley of Baraka, and there they blessed the Lord. 
Therefore, the name of that place is called the Valley of Erica unto this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat in front of them. Get this. To go back to Jerusalem with joy. They're absurdly happy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with their secret weapons. Stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. I said a couple things there that we laughed at and we thought it was funny. But when we gather here on Sunday, we are about a desperate, deadly business. We come here to sing war psalms. We come here to praise the Lord. We come here to rejoice. We come here to behold the works of the Lord and to worship him. And I don't know how it works. I can't explain it. But this is warfare against God's enemies. Do we get that? When we get up on Sunday morning, we need to be excited. We're going to go join the battle. Do you get this? We're going to go help defeat God's enemies. We're going to call out the sopranos, the loud instruments. The thunder earlier on the drums was awesome. Remember and believe. Emmanuel, the Lord of hosts, is with us. Sing the psalms. Sing the war psalms. And pray to the Lord for deliverance, whether you're afraid or not. Sing the war psalms. So I ask you again, is this you? Jesus promised his disciples three things. That they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and constantly in trouble. Let's pray. Father, oh, how we rejoice in your goodness to us. Lord, you have given us everything we need, and truly without you we can do nothing. But you have given us your word, you have given us your spirit, you have given us your songs to sing, you have given us your promises of victory. Lord, we remember and we believe and we pray that you will heal our unbelief. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.